One thing I've learned since starting this podcast is that small towns keep the best secrets. Growing up in a small town, I hated that everybody knew everybody. I couldn't catch a break. If my brother was up to no good, I would be told about it by every teacher and every nosy neighbor for days and weeks to come. Growing up, my reputation had to be chiseled from the wake of disaster that he left behind. And that is no exaggeration. As teenagers, he was always up to something that in hindsight, it seems even other adults knew about far before it ever made its way back to our mom. Realistically, she was always the last to know that he was into something he shouldn't have been or whatever. And in this case, the disappearance of Adam Castillo, it's kind of the same in that way. Everyone in this small town of Kansas Settlement, Arizona, knows something, but no one is saying anything to the people who need to know the most. I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict. Anything that you hear on this show will have source materials linked in show notes, and my feelings on each case are based on intuitive hits and downloads, and everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And speaking of entertainment, to join Catherine Ann Intuitive Patreon, go to www.patreon.com slash Catherine Ann Intuitive and sign up for self-worth seminars, interviews with celebrities who have passed, and exclusive access to weekly and monthly energy reads. If you leave a review on iTunes in the month of October, you will be entered to win a free 30-minute reading, a $97 value. Thank you for helping to make the production of this show possible. And thank you to Nayface for the following review. I love all things true crime, but Catherine brings a refreshing take on other podcasts with her intuitive sense on cases. Even if I think I know all things about certain cases, there's always something new she brings to the table. Love it. And thank you to Gamer15896 for your review as well. Catherine always does an amazing job talking about the victim in the way they should be talked about as a human being that needs justice. Thank you, Gamer and Nayface. So small town life and what happened to Adam Castillo. In September of 2008, Adam Castillo had just broken up with his longtime girlfriend, Wendy, who was leaving for college. The Vanish podcast does an incredible job at covering this case, and I encourage all of you to have a listen over there as well. It is there that you can hear his sisters describing this relationship as one where they were completely in love. And I'm not sure what broke them up other than her leaving for college, but it sounds as if Adam was devastated. And to make matters even more gloomy, his family had just experienced the loss of a baby. Adam's seven-month-old nephew had just passed away, and Adam was left in a fairly dark place, as one could imagine. His sisters had heard of a party that was taking place on the evening of September 13, 2008. Adam's sisters had heard of a party that was taking place on the evening of September 13, 2008 at a local spot known as The Loop. At first, Adam didn't even want to go. He wanted to stay home. Two of his sisters... Ariana and Eden had planned on going though, and a few of his friends came by and ultimately convinced him to go to the party in hopes of shaking off some of his depression, possibly meeting a girl worthy of being his girlfriend. His sister, Ariana, was planning on going, and when there was no room in the car full of Adam's friends, she told him not to worry, she'd catch a ride with one of her friends later that night. Well, 
her friends never showed up. And it's interesting because I know in hearing different pieces of the story from various interviews between Grace, his mother, and then Cassandra, his sister, and Ariana, his sister, it kind of sounds like Eden had planned on going, but Grace, his mom, had kind of put her foot down and was like, there is no way you're going to this party. You're too young. It's not happening. So Ariana didn't end up going with Eden. Eden didn't end up going. And Adam's friends kind of showed up and talked him into going. And they talked him into going so quickly that he didn't have his phone or his wallet with him. So he ends up going to the party on his own without his sisters, but with a handful of friends, um, Levi, Cody, Kino, and little Gary. Cody was driving. So according to Ariana, not long after Adam left, she got this horrible feeling, her intuition. Her ride ended up not showing up or going to the party. And so unable to shake the bad feeling, she calls Levi, the only person she knew at the party who also had a phone. She expressed to him that, excuse me, he expressed to her that he was actually in trouble with his mom and he had to be dropped back off at home. So some of these people are minors. Some of them are barely legal adults. And Adam was 21 years old. All of them are around that like late high school or just graduated ages though. So he's in trouble with his mom. He's dropped back off at home and Cody and Levi are no longer at the party. Adam had forgotten his phone and wallet. So no one had any way of getting hold of him because no one else knew anyone at the party with a phone. There's about 25 to 30 people at this party. And when Adam didn't come home that night, Ariana was worried, but not too overly concerned as she assumed he had crashed with a friend. When he hadn't come home the next morning and she sees a car pulling up, she assumed that it was him, but it wasn't him. It was little Gary and someone else who she didn't know driving. Little Gary's face was badly burned from his chin up to his cheek. And when she approached the car, she asked him where Adam was, and he was confused, saying he thought Adam was there. The next thing he says to her is so chilling. He says, well, if Adam comes back, tell him thank you, because I think he saved my life. And as Ariana presses him for more information, Gary nods to the driver of the car, and they leave. Totally freaked out by this, Ariana goes inside to talk to her mother, who shares the instantly bad feeling, and at least 25 people are at this party, and every single one of them got home, except for Adam. So at this point, they're obviously not able to file a missing persons report because Adam's 21, and he's been missing for less than a day at this point, but they know they can file one Monday. The family takes it upon themselves to begin the search for Adam. His mom, Grace, goes out to the loop with her nephew, and this is where Adam was last known to be, right? So when they get there, what they see is fairly typical of what you would expect at a party. So that you know there's empty cans, remnants of a fire pit where little Gary likely had burned his face, a tire. And you know, this is like a typical out in the boonies country party. Where I grew up, it would have been barns and cornfields, maybe cows, but it, it was the same kind of idea. And then the interesting part, there were county employees there cleaning up. This gets a little bit confusing because I've heard them referenced as county employees and I've also heard them referenced as being part of Border Patrol, but either way, it didn't fit and it made very little sense, especially when you find out that the loop is on private land. So thank you to Voices for Justice podcast, another well-done podcast from someone who's actually 
relatively nearby that area to where all of this took place. So this private land is located just off of public land, which is the Wilcox Playa Wildlife Area. I believe it's like 28,000 acres of wildlife refuge. So when they filed the missing persons report Monday morning, it's just under 48 hours since the last time anyone had seen Adam. They tell the sheriff that there had been county employees out there cleaning up and how they found this so strange, and he agrees with them. He also finds it odd. The police report reads, As we arrived at the location, we saw a county truck pulling a small trailer parked next to where bonfires are made during drinking parties, and as we got out of our vehicles, the truck started to leave. I asked the driver if he knew who owned the house, where we were, and he said, I would have to check with planning and zoning to find out. The truck then left the area. Then as we were looking at the makeshift fire pit, we noticed the area had been raked up and cleaned of debris. I then made the comment, I didn't know that county employees went out to these partying spots and cleaned up these areas, and it seemed unusual. Law enforcement agreed. So Monday, when John, Adam's dad, and Grace went back out there to look around, the scene was completely different. Everything had been cleaned up. No tire, no trash, nothing. So you wouldn't have known that anyone had ever partied there at all. And what I saw when I first heard this was them scraping and raking the surrounding dirt and sand into bags to later dump. At this time, officers had looked around, but no formal search had been conducted yet. So now, four days after the last time Adam has been seen, parents of a friend of Adam's were out looking for him, and they find a 30-gallon black plastic trash can with the lid taped shut. They called it into law enforcement, and when the lid was opened, it was found that it was full of rotting meat and regular household trash. The bin was discarded. It is in my opinion, it is in my intuitive opinion, that there was some sort of evidence hidden within everything else in that bin. When initially connecting to this case, I had seen a, quote, black canister as an important piece of this case. Further, this case was bothering me so much, and maybe because of how active the sisters have been recently on social media, but I had two of my intuitive friends feel into it as well, and all three of us saw a black canister or a trash can as part of this case. And I don't believe that it was as obsolete or unimportant as we were led to believe that it was or as law enforcement treated it. Many of the party goers were actually minors, like I said, and the Cochise Sheriff's Department shut the school down for an entire day to conduct interviews with these students. I believe over 50 students were questioned and still nothing came of it because no one was talking. A flyover and a helicopter was conducted, and during that aerial search, a man-made hole that they later went to on foot was found. The hole was roughly two feet wide by four feet long and two feet deep. It was clearly dug with a shovel as it had very defined straight edges, but it had been abandoned. It's speculated it was abandoned because it was too close to the road, but near the hole, they found wadded up duct tape, and in the hole... There was a piece of a broken off blue handle that looked like it came off of like a Rubbermaid tote or something similar to that. Both of these items were collected, but no further information can be found on them in the file. This entire case goes like this. Something little happens or some sort of lead is is uncovered and, and they think that it's going somewhere and then it's just squashed. And 
every single lead led to nothing. So in February of 2009, Wendy, Adam's ex-girlfriend, took it upon herself to go undercover, so to speak, in a nearby area, Bowie, Arizona. This was an area that is speculated Adam may have trash-talked at the party and perhaps something was done to him out of retaliation. From what I understand, Bowie had a very big drug scene, cartel presence. It was kind of a shady area. So Wendy was on the phone with someone from there named Donnie and asked him, so what happened to Adam? And Donnie tells Wendy, who was sitting next to Ariana at the time, he said, let's just say there was a lot of coke at that party and he fucked up. Forget about him. One of the rumors circulating was that Adam, excuse me, Adam knocked over a tray of drugs after stating that he doesn't do that hard shit. There were so many witness statements taken by police in the days and weeks following his disappearance, and Voices for Justice podcast goes over a handful of these witness statements. And again, I can't recommend listening to the episode that covers Adam's case enough. She did such a wonderful job. In fact, listen to her whole story because she got a lot of attention from TikTok in helping to solve her sister's case. So... Anyway, Levi's witness statement, and we're going to kind of go into it, but I really do recommend you do it justice and go listen to the Voices for Justice podcast because of the work that she put into obtaining all of this information. Levi's witness statement explains that he thought Adam was getting a ride home from Armando that evening. There's a new name for us, right? Levi was the only one with the phone at the party that Ariana had called the evening of when she had the bad feeling when Adam left for the party. According to Voices for Justice, Levi's statements were the most consistent, but also offer the least amount of detail. And in small towns, it's not uncommon to say things like I'm about to say, but Levi's mom was dating Gary's dad, right? They're friends though. And Levi's mom alleges that when asked if Gary and Cody wanted to go search for Adam on the 17th of September, they said it was a waste of time because Adam wasn't out there. Later on, Gary clarifies in saying that they had already looked, so they knew he wasn't there. Truthfully, I believe he knew he wasn't out there because he knows something much more sinister happened to Adam, and he wasn't going to be found, at least not where anyone was looking. Now, Cody picked Gary up from the loop the morning after the party. Cody witnesses a brown truck there, takes Gary to Kino's house, one of the guys who was in the car originally on the way to the party. Gary then proceeds to go talk to Ariana, which we heard about earlier in the episode. This is where Gary confirms the story with police, but Adam's sister Cassandra believes that Gary told her a different story about who picked him up. So if Gary was picked up by Cody and dropped off at Kino's house to shower, who was the person driving the car that drove Gary to Adam's house the next morning? Who took him from there? Ariana didn't recognize him, and we already know that she knows who Levi, Kino, Gary, and Cody are. Cody's car was later found abandoned on the side of the road and towed away, but the towing service reports that they had to file for an abandoned car title for the car. Cody and his mom both say that they called the towing service and let them know that they couldn't afford to pay and handled handed the car title over themselves. So this doesn't match, right? This doesn't seem to be the truth. Gary's statement is almost useless, at least in my opinion, because he was so heavily intoxicated and he allegedly can't remember whether he was pushed into the fire where he burned his face or if he stumbled into it. Most say that he fell into it, but a lot of people also know what happened to Adam and they're not speaking up, so who's to say they're telling the truth here either? Who knows what really happened to Gary that resulted in his face being burned in the fire? He even says in his police statement that he's only repeating what Kino had told him. 
Gary woke up alone in the truck that everyone else had described being there and had no shoes. He refers to this as Toby's truck. So now we meet Toby in this long story. According to Gary, though, he called his dad around 5 a.m. to come get him, but Cody was sent to go get him. Where did Gary get the phone if the original few in the car, Levi, was the only one who had a phone, and Levi and Cody had left when Levi got in trouble with his mom? And further, if Gary was alone when he woke up, then whose phone did he even use if someone had been there whose Ariana's whose number Ariana just didn't have or she didn't know? This is so confusing to me. We aren't the only ones who are confused by all of this, though, as even investigators have remarked that Gary shows signs of deception, which, of course, Gary claims are just his nerves. Truthfully, I believe that he remembers more than he says, but is afraid to confess to what he does know for fear of his own life. Now, Toby... The owner of the small brown truck that Gary woke up in. His witness statement, he tells law enforcement that he got to the party around 11 p.m., saw Gary in the fire, but didn't see how he got into the fire. Toby claims to also have been incredibly intoxicated, like Gary. He claims to have left the party on two separate occasions to get more beer. The shell casings, Toby and Gary were shooting Toby's rifle into the air and just kind of messing around with it. And how was he leaving this party? Was he driving if he was so drunk? This isn't so hard to believe, though, because if you're from the country, you're partying out in the middle of nowhere. This is just something that you do. You're shooting off guns like this. You're probably going to pick up more alcohol somewhere nearby when you shouldn't be driving. This is something I feel like friends of mine in high school would have been out in the cornfield shooting guns like this and acting like complete dumbasses because it's just what we did. So, not necessarily me, I was a really boring child. But anyway, that's not the point. For us, it was the lead, not the loop. It was an abandoned stone quarry. For them, it's the loop, and they're in the middle of the desert. Toby alleges that Gary was passed out in the bed of his truck, which is what we've heard so far. And Adam left not long after the rest of everyone had left around 2 a.m. According to Toby, he didn't see what kind of car Adam got into, but he heard Adam say, awesome, and left in another car that had pulled up again. It is rumored that this was a Honda, and a bunch of girls were in it. Again, Adam didn't have a phone, so how did he call someone to come get him if he did? Did they just happen to drive by there? Had they left the party, drove back? We don't know. So Toby says the only reason he didn't go with everyone else was because he didn't want his truck getting vandalized but he later walked into town on his own and left it there at the party site by itself or was sleeping Gary in it. Regardless, he claims he couldn't leave it at first, but ends up walking a few miles into town to get a new battery for the truck. Toby did allow investigators to take two guns from his house with no problem and has been cooperative so far. Jose, another new name, also shot the rifle with Toby. Jose left with Armando and two others around 2 a.m. Jose is known by many as Mozo and is allegedly Armando's right-hand man. While we're on this, Armando, he's who the party was for. This was his birthday party, and he's evidently a big name in the area. I believe he's very involved into drug use, drug trafficking, drug something in the area. He's well-known. He is absolutely someone that they knew to go to when they needed whatever it is that they needed. So I believe it's that one of his sisters knew Armando from high school, but again, wasn't exactly friends with him. It's hard to not know of or know everyone when you're from a small town. You stick out very easily when when you're someone who's not from there and you show up. So Kino was one of the five in Cody's car to Armando's party. And like Adam, he was hoping to meet some girls at this party too. 
Kino described himself as being maybe a 6 or an 8 out of 10 on a scale of drunkenness. He doesn't recall a fight of any kind happening that night at all, but he does recall Gary falling into the fire on his own, definitely not being pushed. In his witness statement, Kino also says that it was him, Jose, and Adam who helped Gary out of the fire. His story of what happened to Adam differs, though. He says that he heard a rumor that Adam had been shot five times and killed at the party. I want to know when he was shot and killed at this party, if there were people there until 2 a.m. But then Armando and everyone left together. So when was he shot? I wanted to go over Armando's witness statement last, and this is for a few reasons. According to Voices for Justice, his witness statement is actually pretty brief. While everyone else gave their statement in person, Armando received a phone call from an investigator and then gave him a call back, you know, at his own convenience. And not only that, but he was able to give his statement over the phone rather than in person. He did later go into the station, but that was to tell the police that he was also looking for Jose. Armando also left the party around 2 a.m., like everyone else says most of them did. He says that when he left with Jose and two others, Adam, Gary, and Toby were the last ones there. If we recall, Gary's passed out, Toby's trying to fix his truck, and Adam, we don't know. In fact, he even explains a little bit more about Toby. Evidently, Toby had walked home from the loop and called Armando to help him go get his truck. Armando doesn't mention anything about the fire and Gary or even about the rifle that they had been shooting or any other weapons. Something else that was included in Voices for Justice that was was other witness statements had included some of the dangerous and less unfavorable dealings of Armando. He was into some seedy stuff and everyone knew that he was, quote, that guy, like I said. So Adam's sister talks about how someone involved has connections in the town and that allowed them to pull strings with say, county cleaning up, maybe friends in law enforcement, and possibly even pull with the cartel. Cancel settlement is roughly an hour and a half from the Mexican border, and I will say this. Reading Armando's name gives me chills. I think that a lot of people would be surprised to know just how entangled law enforcement can get in corruption or how easily one corrupt person can have more pull than you could imagine. All you need is the right person in the right position. I want to hit on a few things that I saw in my initial connection to Adam's case as well. The first thing that really stuck out to me was that I heard and felt fire immediately. And when I listened to the Vantage podcast coverage of this case, I cringed when I heard about what happened to Gary in that fire because it was so clearly connected to Adam, even if it was only something that happened to his friend that evening and not necessarily anything to do with his disappearance. There are some parts of what I felt are not for everyone to hear, and if you're listening and you've been listening for a while to the show, you know that I believe in never sharing anything that could be too much for family or friends to hear. I connected to three men being involved in some sort of altercation, but also that it wasn't necessarily Adam's fight, but he got involved because it was in his nature to get involved where he saw something unfair happening to someone else. Adam had a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and maybe it was from his recent breakup, but I feel like it was more around where he wanted to be in life versus where he felt he ended up. He had been through a lot recently and was feeling a bit hardened and easily angered by anyone doing something wrong to another person. And I so very clearly saw a black canister when I heard that a black trash can had been found. I blurted out, Jesus Christ, you've got to be kidding me, while I listened to the Vanish podcast. That trash can has more involvement than they thought. I don't believe anything can be done about that now, but what's also interesting is that I felt something happened on private property. 
I wasn't sure why it mattered that it was so specifically private property, but after hearing how close it was to public land, and even more so, hearing that county employees were cleaning it up even though it was on private land, that floored me. Because even on public land, that seems kind of unheard of. It doesn't really make sense. This case is beyond solvable, and I think that that's what's so maddening about it. If you go to Justice for Adam Castillo on TikTok, you will see that his sisters were told the best way to get anything done in this case at this point is to turn up public pressure. The information's out there, but people are afraid to speak up because someone who we already mentioned in this episode has a father, an uncle, some older male figure who is connected to his family and is in public office or higher up in local government while simultaneously being involved with serious drug trafficking. This isn't small-time marijuana-type stuff, but harder drugs, and that's where the fear is. Everyone knows everyone in a small town, and therefore everyone would know who told is kind of the vibe that I got. What's unfortunate is that they're probably right to be afraid. And the endless rumors about Adam and what happened to him remain to be torture for his family, who desperately want answers. Ariana and Cassandra are interviewed on both of the aforementioned podcasts and talk about how people will come up to them and say how sorry they are for what happened to their brother, but they have to ask every time what was hurt because they don't know. It has been said that he was killed over someone else's drug debt, that he was shot, then he was put into acid, that he was tortured. They've checked the nearby golf course, the surrounding area, nothing. And this is largely because the Border Patrol County, whoever it was, came in and burned and cleaned up debris. They got rid of evidence, and the way I see it, someone higher up sent them there to clean up. And these specific people who went were used to doing, quote, odd jobs for this person who's connected to trafficking as well as in office. Because of Adam's disappearance and the network of people who got roped into interviews and the shady dealings that so many of them were a part of, multiple leads allowed law enforcement to take down drug operations. People were arrested off the streets, drugs were seized, operations were shut down, but still, no one spoke of where Adam was. It seems that it was understood that it just wasn't to be spoken about. What's interesting to me as well, what's sad, really not interesting, is that according to one of his sisters, there was a like a school production, a school um, guest speaker there talking about drugs and what can happen to you if you use drugs. And they put up Adam's picture as an example of what can happen in your life if you're using. And the thing is that Adam wasn't, and maybe he was recreationally that night or something like that, but he wasn't a habitual drug user. Outside of maybe some marijuana, which you've heard me say on this show before as well, I do not count that as drug use because holy hell, we're just not going to go there. So Gary's father's girlfriend claimed to have overheard Gary telling someone about he would pay them back when he had a job and he'd get the money when he had a job. There are rumors that this was Gary's debt to Armando that Adam took the fall for, but still no one has spoken. There's even rumors that that Adam found out that they were trying to drug some younger girls at the party to roofie them so that they would have sex with them. And and that's why he stood up and that people retaliated against him for doing that. Well, on Easter Sunday in 2009, Cassandra was back in town. She had moved to California before all of this had happened. And when she's back into town again, she runs into Gary. She pushed him to tell her what happened that night. And again, you can hear her account of this in the other two shows, but Gary's story to her changes now. And from what he had been saying, it's now so different. 
Gary tells Cassandra that he remembers being really drunk and Adam telling him to sleep it off. They put him into the backseat of a car and he recalls to Cassandra how he watched them through an open door and that he couldn't help but feel like he failed Adam. What does that mean? And he woke up in Toby's truck with no shoes and that's it. And they speculate about why he would have woken up in the truck versus the car. This one I feel like is, it's a little, like the most simple answer is the right answer here. I really think he was just moved because someone was leaving and they didn't want to drive him home in their car where he didn't belong. (laughs) So I think that that's why. And missing his shoes, I think it was one of those, you're drunk and you think, man, I would want my shoes off, so I'm going to take my friend's shoes off too, you know? So nothing else has come of this case so far though. And now his sisters have turned to social media to try to find answers and put the pressure on law enforcement, just like they were told. So share Adam's story, share it for his sisters, share it so they maybe can find the justice that their family and Adam all deserve. The case file shows no updates since March 2009, just six months after his disappearance. Thanks to social media though, the girls, Ariana and Cassandra, took over for their mom after she had open heart surgery and had to slow down on what she was doing to get answers. But it's since gained more traction. I can only hope to see this case featured on 2020, Dateline, wherever it can be seen and heard, and hopefully find the answers that they so desperately needed. In fact, right before coming on here to record, I did one last quick search just to make sure I wasn't missing anything, and there was a story posted only seven hours earlier in this day, as I'm going to record. So whatever they're doing at this point, it's helping because his case is being heard and seen and read by more. And in the story that was posted was on NBC News. So it's exciting to know that hopefully what they've been doing is actually getting the traction that they needed it to get. So share his story, share it, listen to his story on the Vanish podcast and on Voices for Justice. Read it, make some noise because this family deserves answers and it's up to us, the public, to help them get exactly what it is that they need. So, once again, I'd like to thank you all for listening to Murder and Mediumship. Give us a share, give us a shout, draw the attention to those who need it so that we can help their family members find the answers that they so gravely need. I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful day.